0: crisis management there are people and firms and corporations that make a lot of money because there are people who get into a lot of trouble either by putting their own foot in their mouths or other events happening and they try to find experts to help them out out of their crisis and you'll hear phrases like if everybody else is running around with their hair on fire and you're not it's just because you just don't know the seriousness of the situation. And oftentimes we're kind of in that kind of, well, if I'm calm, then maybe it's I don't understand. Or we fall back on that, that phrase that many people think that are in the, that's in the Bible, and let me disabuse you that it's not. It says God helps those who help themselves. Because the reality is, in essence, God helps those who can't help themselves. It's called grace. But at the same token, I guess it is that God helps those who help themselves. Because as human beings, we all know what we do. We get into a situation, and our first thought is, how do I handle it? And then after you realize that you've tried to help yourself, that then you need God's help. Wouldn't it be much better if we turn to Him first, even before the crisis? So I want us to see how Daniel handled crisis management and so if you'll turn in your bibles to daniel chapter 2 it starts with this now in the second year of the reign of nebuchadnezzar i'm going to stop there there are those who say automatically see the bible is inconsistent because it just said that it was a three-year program before daniel graduated and this is now in the second year of the reign so therefore it's inconsistent Well, there are probably several explanations. Explanation possible number one is that the timing and counting of the ascension was, you don't count the year of ascension, you count other years. And so the second year is the third year that Daniel graduated, and it's consistent. Uh, Or it could be that um, we know that Nebuchadnezzar's father was the king before Nebuchadnezzar, that he became ill. And that was part of the reason that Nebuchadnezzar left Jerusalem to go back to his homeland in order to deal with his father's illness and then death. And so three years into maybe the second year. I do know this for sure. There's lots of explanations. It was in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar that Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. Every time someone tries to say that the Bible is inconsistent, when we get more information we find out that the Bible is totally consistent. So in the second year of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king gave orders to call the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream." Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. And we don't have the original text, at least in front of us. We all have English translations. But apparently from this point for another chapter or two, it's written in Aramaic, not written in Hebrew. Because Aramaic was like when the New Testament was written in Greek. that was the language internationally. And we're going to be talking about international events. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. Okay, can you hear me now? Okay. The, kings, <coughs> the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. And of course, they're going to do what everybody who serves the king does. O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants, and we will declare the interpretation. And the king replied to the Chaldeans, The command from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. But if you declare the dream and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and reward and great honor. Therefore, declare to me the dream and its interpretation. Now, if you've got your heading in some of your Bibles, it says that the king forgot his, the king forgot his dream, and he needed them to tell them. I think that's possible. I also think that it's possible that the king very well remembered the dream, He wanted them to tell him the dream so that he could rely on the interpretation because anybody can come up with an interpretation once you know something. I also suspect that he was testing them because most of these advisors were his fathers and you want to make sure they're loyal to you and you want to make sure that they are who they say they are. So if they are magicians and sorcerers and wise men, then they should be able to do these things. And so I don't think necessarily the king doesn't remember the dream. He's testing them. But I'll allow for it that it's possible that the king just forgot and said, okay, I don't remember, so you tell me. That will cause me to recollect. Then I'll trust your interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell the dream to his servants, and we will declare the interpretation. So they're going, no, no, you tell us, and then we'll tell you. And the king replied, I know for certain that you are bargaining for time inasmuch as you have seen that the command from me is firm, that if you do not make the dream known to me, that there is only one decree for you, For you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. See, that's why I don't think that the king forgot the dream. He's testing their loyalty. He's testing their powers, their abilities. And he's saying, tell me what the dream is. Because I know you've all conspired together for your own good, not mine. Therefore, tell me the dream that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. So he doesn't budge. He goes, you're just just asking for time. You're delaying the situation. But the reality is, I'm not changing my mind. Tell me the dream. Then tell me the interpretation. If you don't tell me the dream, you're going to die a horrible death. And everything that you own is going to be in a junkyard. But if you're able to declare to me the dream and its interpretation, then I'm going to give you great riches, and wealth, and fame, and honor, and all kinds of glory. So, here's the deal. So what do they do? The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. They're going, wait a minute, this is really, really hard, and no reasonable king, no matter how powerful or whatever ruler, has ever made that kind of request to the magicians and conjurers and Chaldeans, the wise guys. It's not fair. You're asking something that is way too hard for us, and nobody else has ever asked that. Moreover, that thing which the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who declare it to the king except gods, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Well, guess what? These guys were saying we're magicians and conjurers and Chaldeans. We have it in with the gods. So find out from them, but they're saying, well, they don't dwell with us, we don't have conversations, and so um, our religion is kind of failing us because they're way off doing something else. And we can't talk to them. So in essence they're saying, we can't do it. And they're at least smart enough to not come up with a dream because then it's going to be obvious they have no clue what they're talking about. So they just said, it's just too hard. Because of this, the king became indignant and very furious and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. And they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. There's a crisis. Daniel is being sought out, and all the wise guys are going to be sought out to be killed. And the way the uh, king had described how they're going to be killed limb from limb, not a pretty sight. It's not like drink some hemlock and die a peaceful death. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be painful. And they're looking for Daniel and his friends. Verse 14, crisis management. Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's body god, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. And he said to Arioch, the king's commander, for what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. So here's the situation. Daniel is confronted with his executioner. He goes, I'm going to kill you. Then he goes, why? And why are you in such a rush? But notice his response is not like what most of us response would be. It's not fair. How many times have you ever heard that? Something bad happens. It's not fair. That's almost the very first thing that comes out of our mouth. It's not fair. And internally, you could say, Daniel could say, well, wait a minute. God has really failed us. I mean, I used to live in Jerusalem. I was a bright, young, good-looking lad. Had my future in front of me. And now I'm stuck in this foreign land. God abandoned us. And on top of that, now I'm in this land. I don't even get to die at home. I have to die in a foreign land. God has failed me and has failed everything. That's not his response. He answers with discernment and with discretion. Verse 17. I'm sorry. Uh, Verse 17. Sixteen. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Now you read that, two things ought to come to your mind. The king had just said he wasn't, that the Chaldeans, the magicians, and the sorcerers were bargaining for time so that they could give the interpretation. Daniel is asking for the exact same thing that they asked for except he didn't give them any time. But remember in chapter 1, it said that God gave Daniel favor. It's amazing what you can accomplish, but not you, but God, when God gives you favor. So God grants to Daniel through the king favor and time to find out the interpretation that he didn't even give his own people. You've got to remember, this is, a foreigner who's in the king's court. He's not even the king's people. And he asks for time. Verse 17, apparently the king gives it to him. And then we kind of read this story as history. But I want you to kind of, none of these things are certain. When Daniel goes to the king, there's no certainty that says, okay, I'll give you some time. He could have said, no, Daniel, I want you to die. I want to see you die. Execute him right here in front of me. There's no guarantee that the king grants time. There's no guarantee that the king is going to treat Daniel fairly. But the king does give him time. So then what does Daniel do? Does he make a way of escaping? Okay, now I've got some time. Now I can hightail it out of here. What is Daniel's response? Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. There is a crisis, and it's a great crisis. You're going to lose your arms and your legs and all kinds of painful things. So their response is, let's hold a prayer meeting. And Daniel gets his three friends, the guys who were the ones who would not defile themselves. And they're also, if you will, in the crosshairs of the king. So these four men are very motivated to pray. Because it's in their best interest to pray and pray with urgency. Isn't it interesting, all too often, our first response is, how do I fix this? How do I get the king to do something? How how can I fix this? And their response is, let's hold a prayer meeting. Now, you can understand these four men and their sense of urgency. Because if you've ever had the potential of an illness, or if you've ever had some catastrophic event that could happen that you're really motivated to pray. Lord, I don't want this situation to happen. Please let it not be. And you are pretty intense in your prayer because you don't want that thing to happen. And that's why our church and churches in general have prayer meetings because it's where people gather together. And we may not have the same circumstance that you have. We may not even ever have that circumstance, potentially. But we ought to be just as motivated. Now, our motivation shouldn't be that we share the same problem. But we have the motivation of love. That we love one another so much that happening to one is like happening to the rest of us. And then when that thing is happening to you, you pray with urgency. Therefore, when it's happening to a brother or sister, you pray with the same sense of urgency because it may not be out of a sense of commonality, but it's a sense of love for your brother or sister. So their crisis management is to go to the one person that can give them what they need, God, the God of heaven. And notice the scripture is going to tell us an answer. It doesn't tell us how they prayed, because it doesn't matter the words they used. Because quite frankly, Jesus taught us a prayer that we really don't model after. Sometimes we'll repeat it. But His prayer starts out with our Father. That relationship. Our, if you will, our Daddy. Who's in heaven. And it talks about hallowed, holy is your name. And then it, most of us, okay God, I got this problem. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm asking for your will to be done no matter what I ask. So if what I ask is in your will, then do it. If I ask is not in your will, then don't do it. Because may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then it goes on and talks about, well, give us this day our daily bread. It doesn't say... Lord, may we win the lottery so that I'm independent of you and everybody else for the rest of my life. He says, give me this day daily bread. Then it talks about forgiveness. Oh, we don't want to talk about that because I have this grudge and I have, I mean, they wronged me. It's not fair what they did to me. It teaches forgiveness. So I figure if we don't spend a lot of time doing the prayer that Jesus modeled for us to pray, it really doesn't matter much exactly what his words are. But we know the result of his prayer because in verse 19 it says, Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. The king had a dream, and God speaks to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven, and Daniel said, Now I want to stop there, and I want you to think about the last time you prayed for something and God answered. I suspect you were happy for about 90 seconds. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. What's for lunch? Notice Daniel's response. Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. His first response is not thank you, Jesus, you you answered my prayer. It's something that is to be named whether God answers your request in the affirmative or in the negative. Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. For For wisdom and power belong to him. True regardless of the answer to the prayer. It is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. Now we're understanding that Daniel is praising God specifically because God has answered his prayer in specificity. This dream that is being revealed has to do with changes of times and epochs, and changes of kings and kingdoms. And it is God who establishes and takes them away. And he gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. Now I read, he gives wisdom to wise men. So if you're wise, it's probably because God gave you wisdom, and if you continue to be wise, it's because you're using that wisdom. It's No wonder there's so many foolish people. Because they never consulted God about wisdom and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. Let's face it. God so knows you and I, and God so knows kings and rulers. He knows what they dream, and in this situation, gave him the dream. That's how intimately God is involved in the lives of kings and kingdoms and in the lives of you and me. He knows and reveals the profound and hidden things. To you, O oh God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. It's not some other God. It's, it's the God who Israel worshipped. It is the God who Judah worshipped. It is the God who who allowed Nebuchadnezzar, the king, to occupy their land, not because Nebuchadnezzar or his God was significant, but because God's people had sinned. But he continues to praise God regardless. So to you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and power. Yeah, you you give people wisdom and power, but I praise you that you gave it to me. Because I need it right now. Because if you don't, I and my friends die. Even now, you have made known to me what we requested of you. You answered my prayer, God, fully. And in the answer to my prayer, you have redeemed me out of death. and notice for you have made known to us the king's matter you see this was a message given to nebuchadnezzar but nebuchadnezzar wasn't wise enough to understand it so he needed somebody to proclaim to him the message and if you will that's all preaching's all about to assist people who may not understand the love of God, so that they might come to understand the love of God. It is a message given to us that is for other people as well. So, what do we do now? The next time you find yourself in a crisis, rather than running around with your hair on fire, rather than trying to say, What is it that I can do, to, say, I can do to solve it? That you first consult God and say, Lord, give me the wisdom and the understanding. Or God, you exercise your authority to take away the situation. But I am going to praise you and glorify you no matter the result. Because you're worthy of that. I worship you and follow you not because of what you do, but because of who you are. If you determine that my life ought to be torn from limb from limb, then so be it. If you determine that my life ought to be saved to glorify you, then so be it. But to you be the glory and honor forever and ever and ever and ever. And my faith in you is not a result of circumstances, but in my understanding of exactly who you are. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, it says this. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. I want you to grasp that. We so often try to put limits on who God is and His power. Oh, God couldn't do that. Oh, God couldn't separate the seas. Oh, God couldn't shut the mouths of lions. Oh, God couldn't cause locusts to come. Oh, God couldn't stop the sun in its All of those things are told, oh God, you can't raise the dead. All of those things God can do and can do more than you could even dream of. Catch that. God can do more than you can even dream of. So why are we trying to fix it ourselves when God has the answer? God has the power. God has the love. And God has some methods that we haven't even thought of yet. So all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. You see, their response was, the gods don't dwell with us. They don't dwell with mortal flesh. How can we consult them? And the scripture says, God dwells in you. You don't have to go far off to seek his counsel. Because all of that works within us. So to him be the glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus. Not just to the apostles and not just to the church fathers, and not just 500 years ago, or not just back when Daniel was alive some 2,600 years ago, but to all generations forever and ever. And in case you missed it, amen, which means I agree with it. So, since most of us can't afford a crisis management team, and most of us find ourselves in trouble way too often. Let's determine the best way to handle the difficult and impossible solutions is to go to our knees in prayer. It was said of... Luther, that Luther made a comment that said, I am so busy today, I have so much to do that I can't accomplish it all. As a matter of fact, I have so much to do that it will take at least five hours of prayer to get it all done. Now, if he said that, awesome quote, if he didn't say it, he should have. But at the same token, can you imagine the priority that is different in that statement than in ours? We're so busy trying to accomplish when instead we should be busy praying and letting God accomplish. He may use you, He may not. But by Him using you, He will give His power in you to accomplish what He wants as opposed to you accomplishing what you want, and in at least a generation, if not less, everybody will forget. But some 2,600 years ago, we're still talking about a prayer meeting among four young men that was able to tell the king because what God told them what's going to happen in the future. If God can do that for them, what could he do for us? So, prayer is not an accidental last resort, but the first. And all God's people said,